0: Welcome back. I'm Shane McClelland. I'm Lori Gum. And these are The Q-Files. Thanks so much for listening to the last three episodes of our Elizabeth Borden series. We are really happy with what we have presented so far. However, it is a very big story. And there is still so much that we would have liked to have included such as expanding on the gender boundaries and restrictions of the Victorian New England landscape, and furthermore, how the language and words of that time and place could be further analyzed to give us real insight into exactly what Elizabeth Borden and her contemporary female-identified townsfolk might have been experiencing. We decided to invite Lee of the podcast, History Is Gay, to converse with us, particularly about the notion of the word spinster. A word that would have been used to describe both Emma and Elizabeth Warden, and even their murdered stepmother, Abby, before she married their father, Andrew.
1: The etymology of this very word has evolved in so many ways. Once a mere description of vocation, through a movement of female-identified self-empowerment, then to a derogatory label for a prudish old maid, yet it is now being reclaimed today by contemporary queer commentators.
2: Yeah, yeah, so the the term spinster, like, originally, I mean, if you look in the dictionary, it just lists, like, an unmarried woman, you know, someone who's kind of past the common age for marrying. But it actually started out in the like mid 1300s and uh, in, into the Middle Ages, just to refer to a woman who spun thread, who who worked with wool and yarn and spun. And most women in the Middle Ages were spinners, and it was you know really common at the time to like use your occupation as your last name. So you know we have a lot of smiths and and things like that you would see a lot of women who would actually have spinner or spinster as their last name. And so in the middle ages, you had a lot of women who were, who were these, these spinsters, these, uh, these women who were working with wool, who were usually unmarried and relegated to kind of a lower status because women who were married had, you know, better access to raw materials, had kind of a higher status, higher income work because they had the connections with their husbands. Um, So, if you were unmarried, you were usually doing more kind of labor-intensive work. Um, You also see this a lot with um, alewives, women who were uh, working with and brewing beer and spirits. And so, this... Kind of allowed women at the time to make a living for themselves, independent of having to be, having to rely on a man, um, which in and of itself is. A huge gender transgression. And, you know, anytime we in kind of like queer theory and queer history think of women living or working in community without men, regardless of whether or not there's some sort of kind of sexual or romantic relationships going on between them, it's, um, I think, I, I can't remember the specific historian who, who uses this term, but there's a specific queer historian who talks about lesbians and lesbian-like communities. Um, And I think that's really something strong there. So a lot and a lot of a lot of, um, you know, much, much like many uh, other historical women's spaces like alewives who got, you know, connected to witchcraft uh, spinsters kind of moved into a a more derogatory space. Um, You know, nowadays. Uh, I mean, right now, you know, in like 2021, you're probably seeing a lot of people kind of reclaim it. But for a long time, it was kind of just known as, you know, an old maid and unattractive. It 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 didn't it didn't start that way. So you start in the Middle Ages with this just being like, hey, these are these women and this is their occupation. Victor- once you move into Victorian society, you have a lot of gender segregation happening. Mm -hmm. Um, There are kind of these two spheres. You have men are relegated to the working world and the spiritual world and uh, kind of outside public governance. And women are relegated to the home, which we still see a lot, you know, a, a, a lot of the descendants of that. So because of that, any woman who was kind of going outside of those expectations, going outside of, of uh, maintaining the home, being a married woman, being a mother, having children, being a caretaker, a caregiver, was really engaging in a lot of gender transgression. Um, because you were able to, especially if you were, for example, someone was, you know, referred to as a spinster live an independent and autonomous life. Um, I think, you know, you you said in your, your first episode that like there were, you know, what, like two ways that a, a woman could live on her own and that's, you know, inherit it or steal it yep. or who knows. <laughs> um, and so, you know, this is uh, you had uh, the, these women who could kind of live in a culture where they worked amongst other women independent of having to be supported by men unlike in the middle ages in victorian society you're usually seeing this with kind of more upper class women because they have the means to be able to uh live an unmarried life because they inherited it because they had familial connections um
1: yeah i mean you know uh lizzie borden could be a spinster but bridget Sullivan, really. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And and yeah. And I mean, there are reasons there are very specific reasons why, uh, you know, Bridget was the first person to be uh, suspected of, of course, the the murders. You know, it's because of her being a, a, you know, Irish Catholic immigrant. Uh, She couldn't be a lady of 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 class and of status. Um, And Lizzie was. And the Um, truth
1: of the matter is, uh, it was, you know, the word from Lizzie that took the suspicion away from her. And I think we have to remember, and we certainly do, one word from Lizzie that said Bridget did this would have hung her. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she she carried so much weight just because of her her background. Yeah. But at, at the same time, you know in like the Victorian times in the, um, before the 20th century, um, you have these, these spinster women, these unmarried women who basically were kind of bucking all of these norms, not necessarily because they were like, not mothers and wives, but because they were in this public sphere. They were out and making a living for themselves or just going out on the town and being, you know, socialites, but without the, you know, the pocketbook of of their husbands, um, and or contributing
1: to charitable organizations like exactly. unions and and things like that. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. So just really kind of being seen as kind of a threat to established gender roles. Yeah. And this is actually kind of what ended up turning the tide against them. There's there's been some some different kind of interpretations of Spencer's over the years through different uh, historians. A lot of, you know, historians have said things like there's one writer on a, a, a really wonderful website, makingqueerhistory.com. Um That uh, they also do a queer history podcast, um, and she has a really great article that that we pulled from, where she says that spinsters were kind of have been thought of by historians as asexual, bisexual, lesbians, transgender, but but really like the if we really want to go at the like queering the narrative of spinsters, regardless of whether or not people had you know romantic or sexual relationships with one another, it really was that kind of queering the public space and making sure that that they were not standing inside their expected role they were they were working
1: in a female space publicly that was not dominated by men
2: right and it wasn't until really the like beginning of the 20th century when spencers kind of came under fire as sexologists were really rising in popularity Uh, Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Freud, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's suddenly, uh, you have kind of this Uh, you know, because there's not a single (laughs) period in history where women can be just, like, doing things that they're doing and men are okay with it. Um, You know, now now the new version of a new woman, the way that men have decided that women should be, is that they should be, you know, flappers and they should be wearing, you know, revealing clothing and they they should be working towards sexual liberation. And so you started having spinsters kind of, being uh, an unmarried women, kind of being known as prudish and old fashioned, um, especially there's, there was a large kind of sect of, of these, these women who called themselves spinsters, uh, who were um, uh, part of like temperance uh, organizations and temperance movements, um, what's called um, uh, social purity movement, which we kind of talked a little bit about as I mean, it's not like a one to one, um, but it could be seen as, you know, some kind of precursors to like asexual identity and activism.
1: You know, not being an accessory to to men's sexuality, not just being. And and it started to shift like in the early 1900s. The definition of women became as as their level of being an accessory to men.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yes. and and much much like you know many other historians, you know whether you're talking about lesbian or lesbian like communities is there's lots of room for queerness. There's lots of room for lesbianism. There's lots of room for asexuality. There's a lot of room for deciding that you're not going to go along with the status quo. Which, yeah, it's
1: like what we often call demi romantic right now. It's like yeah, that, that, you know, it's like I love that that uh, phrase of lesbian-like community. Mm-hmm. That, that's right. a great, r- very telling phrase. Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's also really important to think about the fact that, I mean, for for a lot of time, um, you know, lesbian or dyke has also been, you know, it carries with it a political identity as well. Um, regardless, I know many people who, you know, may not necessarily still identify as a woman who loves women but they still identify as a dyke yeah. because it's a political identity because it's a specific it's a deliberate life declared outside of the influence of of the patriarchy
1: yeah
2: um and acknowledging what that does
1: so we decided at this point to ask Lee directly if they thought Elizabeth Borden was a dyke,
2: I do think so. I think so. I mean, i i look at I look at the story of her and Nance O'Neill and you know the idea that like, you know she meets she meets this woman, and then instantly it's like, hey, do you want to stay over?
0: <laughs> and
2: it's the enough private party. The pri- you're private party, and you, you. Oh, I'm too, tire. I'm oh, too tired. I'm too tired to drive home. Party i mean what what fucking queer hasn't like been out somewhere with somebody that they had a crush on and be like mm, i don't want to get on the train can i just stay here with you
1: <laughs> that's yeah.
2: that's a very
1: yeah
2: a very and then, queer you know, and then
1: suddenly they're living together and it's you know it's the whole yeah. thing and that's when emma's like no, no.
2: right well especially and it's I, I, like whatever you want to say about lizzie maybe nance was a big old dyke like i mean i should i should say lisbeth i should say lisbeth but i mean she she wrote a play for nance o'neill like there's what is that play you don't you don't just write a play for your heterosexual gal pal Right. You don't just you don't just run around ancient Greece and take baths with your completely heterosexual gal pal like Correct. it's. I think uh, you know
1: writing a play <laughs> should become like a euphemism for having an affair with her. i I'm writing a play for her. That's, that's um, what I'm doing.
2: I don't know. I mean, I like the I like the uh, the midnight entertainment <laughs> of their of their party. Um, it sounds so scandalous and you know uh, we uh
1: we went to Mabelcroft when we were there and uh Shane and I are trying to we're we're not joking Shane and I are ultimately it's up for sale
2: wow
1: so Shane and I want to buy it and turn it into the best queer bed what do we call it uh bed and not breakfast bed and bed and brunch bed and brunch, bed and brunch, yeah. and brunch amazing <laughs> I mean, come on, who wouldn't come there? I mean, oh my, it's, it's for sale right now. God, I can't imagine
2: that. Oh, that's so, that's so wild. I mean, I, I oh, one thing that I think I, I forgot to mention is like that with, with a lot of spinsters, like you had a lot of these unmarried women, but that didn't necessarily mean that they were living alone. You know, I said that they were like working, uh, in communities, of of women but a lot of them actually engaged in uh what we would call Boston marriages yep. um which you know you, we've got fall river massachusetts um, new england, so yep. yeah new england so a lot of these kind of um either independently wealthy or middle class women who were deciding that they were going to study to become doctors or lawyers um and you know be able to Live outside of the influence of men. A lot of these women chose to live together in cohabiting relationships, whether they were romantic or not. A lot of people have talked about um, uh, romantic friendships or Boston marriages and the kind of refrain from historians is like, we don't know whether these were sexual relationships, but that doesn't necessarily preclude, preclude them not being queer. Absolutely. It's I a lot of these sex. relationships may have been romantic, asexual relationships.
1: Absolutely. that sex is not necessarily the definition of whether or not these were queer relationships.
2: Yeah. Yes. 100%. And so I think, I think that that's something that's really important not to, you know, omit is like, there's, you know, we're 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 at this very specific point in time, and we're at this very specific point in geographic location where a lot of these same types of relationships are happening. And here you have Lizzie Borden, who is of the same kind of class, and uh, you know she's <laughs> talking about never having any intention to marry whatsoever.
1: Yeah. Um, And, you know, her and Nance really could have, uh, that's, that's very much falls with, with, under the description of a Boston marriage.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think one of the most famous Boston marriages is, what's her name? Um, Catherine Lee Bates. uh, Who I always just want to, I want to sit there and go like, hmm, are you actually related to Kathy Bates? (laughs) And you look at pictures of them and you're like, oh, actually, (laughs) <laughs> Is Kathy Bates a time traveler? <laughs> mm-hmm. mm, that's uh, great. Yeah cool. i uh, i I love the the newspaper article that that came out about Lizzie and Emma. That's it's, it's like so telling. That's the whole story. If you yeah. just read
1: that article, there's no doubt that this was a queer relationship. Yeah,
2: no. I, it's it's so it's. I think the thing that that makes this whole trial so interesting is that it really is the story of American sensationalism. It's, um, I mean, you get some of it in, you know, a little bit earlier in the in the mid to late 1800s. You get a lot of it in kind of scan, you know, scandalized newspaper articles. But this was this was one of the first things that really put this kind of reporting on a national basis. Everyone was in there and everyone was also like going in and traipsing all over evidence yeah. oh, for
1: days <laughs> for and you days. know what it's funny because i listened to your podcast again today and i hadn't remembered this but i i think i said this to shane a couple of weeks ago one of the things i was struck with is when they bring that this the real skulls back into the courtroom and you know yeah. the is actually fitting the hatchet into the holes i'm like this is O.J. Simpson all over again. This is... This the is, glove. This is the er. This is the er sensational crime story with the glove, but this time they're fitting the hatchets into the hole. Mm-hmm. The crime it is, if it fits, you must not acquit. It's a little bit different, but it was the same sensationalism of fitting that, that, you know, handle uh, uh, handleless hatchet into those holes that is nothing less than than the freaking OJ s- uh, trial,
2: right? Yeah. Well, and just the, I mean, it, it's it's such an exposure of of these kind of Victorian ideals of what women were capable of at the time. I mean, I you know, there's I've gone back and forth uh, multiple times about whether or not I think that that Lizzie Borden actually killed her parents, because there's there's a part of me that. That there's a big part of me that's like, oh well, yeah, maybe you know the evidence isn't necessarily there and da, 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 da. but then there's also a part of me that's like, you know what? You fucking go, girl. Do like, it, get that money. What?
1: here's I haven't told Shane. <laughs> I haven't told Shane this yet. Like, yeah, women
2: can be murderers.
1: Yeah, I haven't told Shane this yet, but this is how I want to end episode <laughs> three. Here's my thoughts. This is Lizzie at, at the moment she's acquitted. Her thoughts are, oh, thank God, I'm not
2: going to hang. Her next
1: thought is, you think I can't fucking do this? Hold my beer.
2: Mm, Yeah. Well, and it's just, it's also a moment of like, I'm free. Yeah, I'm free, but yet you don't think
1: I fucking did this?
2: Well, I mean, I I mean, I I mean, like, hold my
1: beer. Like, you know what? Okay, come here. Let me show you what (laughs) I can fucking do.
2: I mean, I, I mean, like, I'm free, like, I'm free from everything that was going on in her family. Yes. And, yes. and being just under the boot heel of Andrew and his cheapskateness yeah. and his, ah, oh, God.
1: And you don't think I could do that? And so here's what I say I'm agreeing with you 100%. Victorian ideals of, Liz, of, of women got Lizzie Borden in the situation. Victorian ideals of women got. Lizzie Borden acquitted for this because they could ultimately the cultural anxiety they could not admit that their daughter couldn't could think do about this. it. They couldn't. They could not convict her because well, then everybody's looking at their daughter or their wife and then saying, you know what, they you know talk about keeping one eye open at night. Then you know this is what we have to consider if we convict her.
2: Well, I think it's so interesting you say that too because I think that. That is so reminiscent of the exact same cultural anxiety that throughout uh, Western society since the Middle Ages has said that women can't really be having sex with each other mm-hmm. um, The reason why you don't see lesbianism and women women sexual relationships, persecuted and prosecuted throughout history throughout Christian history, the same way that you see sodomy and men's sexuality is because the thought was literally just that it didn't count that women were not capable of having sex with one another. And that if they were, it was practicing for men. It was, um, it was, it was, uh, you know, playful, uh, behavior it was you know what i've said forever
1: it is 100 about
2: penetration it absolutely it absolutely is one of my one of my favorite one of my favorite stories like from early research that that i i did from for like an episode that we did on like early um you know early like kind of christian like medieval christian um ideas is there's there's a story of a woman in the i think is the 14th century don't quote me on this but uh this German woman named Katharina Hetzeldorfer who is known as uh I believe she is known as one of the first uh female sodomy cases and she was drowned in the Rhine and the very specific thing that got her prosecuted was that she was what we would call um, a female husband or a passing woman. Um, These women who, uh, or, you know, we say women, but we don't know exactly how they Mm -hmm. might've Mm -hmm. identified. Um, But she would basically make herself like a husband to women. And she had, she had basically a giant dildo. There's, there's like in, in the like, uh, in the, in the legal proceedings, they talk about this like this this leather, uh, leather and cotton stuffed instrument that was, mind you, the size of an arm is what they said. Um, yeah, so like like one of my favorite favorite editing notes I've ever taken when I was like going through and editing an episode is I just have a note in that, uh, audacity file that just says Katarina Hetzel and her arm sized dildo. Um, but that was absolutely what it is, is as soon as you introduce a phallus into the equation, yep, yep, it's threatening. Yes. Yes. Um,
1: and, and it's unlawful. Like you, the, the, the law is about penetration or not exactly yes yeah yeah yeah, that's absolutely true yeah so
2: I think I think it's really interesting that you specifically kind of talked about that as as like the cultural anxiety of the idea that we cannot even fathom the idea we cannot even fathom the concept of women being violent women being murderers women having the capacity for this uh kind of of rage and animalism especially, especially too at this time in this Victorian era where women were kind of seen as morally superior yeah. to yeah. men that yeah. the idea of like, oh, women are in the home and they're, you know, they're uh, kind of, you know, men are like spiritual and that they're, you know, working with the clergy, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, but women were kind of thought to balance like men's avarice and well that's and why women were raising and-
1: the children is because they were morally more pure exactly uh, they would also take away those the greed the avarice the violence from their husbands Yeah, so just they were held uh, <laughs> up to purity but mm-hmm. yet relegated to the home with that purity
2: the more and more and more i go into it the more i just kind of want to just go like man fuck the victorians Wow.
1: Well- when you, can- <laughs> All the time since we started this, like, I'm- I hate the, Victor- hate the
2: Victorians so much.
1: My husband, you know, my, 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 my father is giving everything away. I'm going to be under the care of my, you know, failed horse, you know, trader uncle. Right. And I'm 32 years old. You know what? Fuck this. Fuck this. I am not going to live on a farm in Swansea with my crazy Horse farmer, uncle, <laughs> to do anything with me I want, fuck you. I'm done. Like, yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I mean, Andrew Borden was 70 years old. He was going to die soon. This was an urgent matter. Yeah. This was an urgent matter. And him and Abby and him giving everything to Abby's family, she must have gone, you know what, old man, you're going to die anyway. Fuck you. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm yeah. going to protect me and Emma, you know? This is the only this is the only way I can do it. Steal this. it, inherit it, or the third bloody option. That's that were your choices. And there you, you go. Know I hate to say it, you know, but more and more I go into the story, I, I'm like with you. Kudos, girl. You go. <laughs> yeah. You
2: go. It's like, you know and what?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And here's the other thing I love, and I think this is really telling too. It took 19 blows to Abby. Nineteen blows is about rage. It isn't about killing somebody. Right. Eleven blows, you're just whacking somebody.
2: But nineteen blows—that's a very specific number, Lori. Yeah, you yeah. came out of that real quick.
1: <laughs> nineteen <laughs> blows—you are fucking pissed at somebody. You are—you are beating them until their head is a black Nineteen blows with a hatchet—that's—that's—that's that's, that's not killing. That's rage. That's yeah. rage. That's why we tend to think it might have been a I was, I was
2: about to say that's that's therapy.
1: Yeah, that's therapy. Yeah. And then it's like, wow, well, you know, Andrew just probably didn't stop talking through eight of them. Oh Jesus! He's like, you know I gotta go. Uh, but you know, you can see nineteen blows is is freaking rage. It's rage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for your insights and your talk. <laughs> it's not many people that. Shane and I, who've been down the rabbit hole for about four months now, that we can actually get to talk to somebody else who is intelligently informed about Lizzie Borden. So, oh well,
2: thank you. This this was a really fun one for for us to dive into when we did it. Um, and, and- you did it so well. So <laughs> thank well. you. <laughs> you really did. Really, you covered everything. My God. And I mean, you know, I still, still, you know, I still want to see some sort of weird time travel fun adventure fun murder adventure between lizzie borden and and bonnie yeah you know (laughs) get those two together it's just a wild time
1: well i want a conversation between lizzie borden and oj simpson that's what i really want ultimately i think that's a play i think that's a play right there um but you know what I'm not stepping into that ter- territory on either side. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> going to write that. No, I'm not yeah. write that. Yeah. Maybe
2: it maybe leaves maybe leave that one.
1: <laughs> That's right. Somebody should, but it's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. So, But, you know, defining the cultural anxiety of our time. Um, you know, Lizzie Borden and OJ Simpson's like totally defining the cultural um, anxiety of our times.
2: I think it would be really interesting to kind of see lizzie borden's story adapted for a modern audience like the idea of mm-hmm. the idea of taking this kind of media sensationalism and transplanting it into a world where we have a 24-hour news cycle and we have social media um and seeing what that does well here's and the only also problem
1: s- though here's the only problem we have dna evidence and she would be convicted in two seconds Well, oh, true <laughs>
2: <laughs> right but, well, now, you fingerprints know, fingerprints and DNA, I
1: mean, <laughs> you know, like I said, she got away because there was no real murder weapon, no bloody clothes. And, you know, our. Victorian oh, well, there ID were bloody. There were
2: bloody clothes. Well, yeah, yeah,
1: there were. <laughs> but there were. I was on my
2: period. Yeah. Wow. Was, well,
1: and I love one of the things we're going to definitely including in this episode, is you know, I love the fact that they will they will bring in the skulls of the dead parents They will talk about all the blood, but when it comes to menstruation, they're
2: like, we're just going to Oh, this This is too too gruesome. It's too gruesome. It's too unsavory. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's I and I love it. It's so much
1: that when Lizzie's actual comment during during that, time was that she had the fleas. They called having your period at that time having fleas. Oh Wow. Yeah, it was just like, oh, they would talk about everything, but they would not talk about menstruation. That that was their limit. They'd bring in skulls, they'd bring in hatchets, they'd bring in everything, but we're not talking about menstruation. That is too horrible. It's <laughs> too think. much. It's <laughs> too much.
0: And there you have it, our last official public conversation about Elizabeth Borden, her extraordinary life, and her quite unique journey. And we thank Elizabeth herself for coming along with us on our fun and fantastic ride. She has left an indelible mark upon us of which we will not soon forget. We wish her, most of all, peace wherever she now roams.
1: And thanks so very much to Lee for talking with us and sharing their valuable insight into the cultural, political, and semantic landscape of which Lisbeth inhabited. You can hear their own musings about Lisbeth Borden at their History is Gay podcast. We sincerely appreciate them joining us and for their own deep dive research into the Borden case.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, tell a fellow weirdo and leave a review. This show was created and produced by me, Shane McClelland, and Lori Gum. Until next time, friends. Be weird. Stay curious. These are the Q-Files.
1: And so, the Elizabeth Borden saga is done. What fun it has been.